you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of Philippians, in chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 1 through 8. And this morning, um, we're starting something of a, a short series through this book of Philippians. I say short because there's only four chapters, so it's not going to take us real long to get through it. But, um, but that is what we are going to do over the course of the next few weeks. And so this morning... We want to start at the beginning and read these, these opening verses of Paul's letter to this group of Christians in Philippi. Let's give our attention to God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel... All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Let's go before him again in prayer and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we come before your word this morning. And we plead with you that you would allow us to to hear it with a humble confidence. That we would... We would hear it knowing that we are but your creatures, that we would hear it knowing that a holy God speaks and we are sinful. And yet we we also pray that you would help us to hear it with great confidence. Let us hear it with confidence knowing that when you, our God, speak, great things happen. You call things into existence that were not when you speak. You raise the dead with your voice. You transform with the power of your voice. And so we pray that you would keep us humble before your word, but that you would give your people a great confidence this morning, knowing that when your word goes out from your mouth, it does not return to you void or empty. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We read these verses this morning, verses 1 through 8, but I'm really going to cheat and just look at uh, at one verse with you this morning, verse verse 6, because I agree with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that that is actually the key verse in, in and for understanding the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. But before we really get into this verse, I want to tell you, Three stories of three different individuals, um, and, and then we'll, we'll get into this passage. The first story that I want to tell you about, or first lady that I want to tell you about, is a woman named Lydia. Now, now Lydia, you and I, if you met Lydia, you would understand that Lydia was a very religious person. You, you can, in fact, picture Lydia going through all the checklists in her mind. She was not half-hearted about anything. She was always about worship, and she was meeting with others to pray regularly. She was going through the checklist to make sure that she had, she had done everything that there was possible to do. The thing about Lydia, though, was that though she was busy with all of this activity, her heart was very closed off to God. 
In fact, she was so busy doing all the right things, she didn't realize that she was in fact dead. And she was dead until someone showed up and preached the gospel of good news to her. And on that day, the Lord Jesus was pleased to open her heart and she was alive. The second story that I want to tell you is about a slave girl. This slave girl, this, this poor girl that we're talking about here, she was actually possessed by an evil spirit. And she went around predicting the future. She was something of a fortune teller in her day. But you've got to understand that she wasn't just a slave spiritually. She was also a slave physically. Cruel men actually owned this girl. And they used her to profit from her. She was enslaved by men and her sin. And she used to visit, uh, she used to heckle the visiting preacher in her town. She would follow him around and she would, she would heckle him. Until one day when that preacher turned around and rebuked that spirit in her. No fancy hocus pocus or anything. He just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And her chains fell off. And she was free. Jesus set her free. The last story is this. It's about a man who is in charge of the town jail. And this guy, this particular guy, had a couple of prisoners under his watch. These prisoners of his were missionaries that had come to his town. And they were preaching about Jesus. And people were getting converted. And Jesus started interfering with the status quo. And things were beginning to change. So they, they locked these men up so that they wouldn't interfere any longer. Well, one night they're sitting in jail and there's this mighty earthquake. And the quake rattles the jail cell. And the doors fly off their hinges and their chains fall off. And the Jailer comes to the prison to see if all of his prisoners are out roaming the streets. You can imagine the chaos you would expect if you were that jailer. But he comes and he finds his prisoners still in the prison, waiting for their jailkeeper. And seeing that, he fell down at the feet of these missionaries. And he asked them this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was as simple as the question. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That night, a man who sought to lock up the gospel so that it would not interfere was himself set free. Now, the reason, some of you will have already figured this, but the reason I take the time to tell you those three particular stories are because these are the accounts of the first three Christians in a city called Philippi. And you can read about their stories in Acts chapter 16. Paul told Lydia about Jesus. And we're told in Acts chapter 16 this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul rebuked this evil spirit in this girl and she was set free. Paul and his friend Silas were in jail when their, prison, when their jailkeeper fell down at their feet asking what to do to be saved. And here we are. You've got to understand this. Here we are reading the first few lines of Paul's letter to his friends. This is a personal letter to his old friends, to to Lydia, to a slave girl, to to a jailer and to the rest of the church in Philippi. You, You know, we often read stories in the Bible and there is something of a disconnect. We feel as though... I don't know if I can relate to these people. It was thousands of years ago in a different culture and all these different things. But I want my guess this morning is that some of you here know what it is to be religious without knowing God. That some of you in this room know what it is to go through all of the motions, to be busy with lots and lots of activity without really knowing Jesus. 
I'm willing to bet that others in this room know what it is to feel enslaved by certain things, to feel enslaved by certain sins, those, and you keep telling yourself, I'm going to eventually shake free of these shackles. I'll, I'll try harder. I'll do more. I'll, get, I'll set myself free. But the slavery remains. Others of us know what it is to run from Jesus, to put him in the corner so that he cannot interfere with our lives. So that there won't be the change that Jesus expects in our lives. But I want to tell you this morning that the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that it is for people like that. That it's for people like us. I mean, can you imagine how these people heard this letter from Paul, their friend? And can you imagine what Lydia and this slave girl and this jailer felt when they heard Paul say this? Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is telling these people, God is at work. It was God who started it, and God who will carry that work, and God who will finish that work. The letter of Philippians, it really is to be a letter of joy and hope for God's people. And I hope that's what we'll find as we go through it. Now, I know that that was a long introduction, so I'm going to be brief with these points. But the first point, I think of this verse, chapter 1, verse 6, is that we, along with Lydia, the slave girl and this jailer, we need to understand who is at work. In other words, who is in charge, who's in control, who is responsible for changing you? It's interesting to notice all the things that this verse doesn't say. You know, it doesn't say, Paul doesn't write to these Philippians and say, I am confident because I know that deep down you're good people. You're a good girl. You're a good guy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm confident because I know this about you. I know that you're not quitters. And I know when the going gets rough, you'll stick it out and you'll persevere. He doesn't say, I'm confident because I know you have all the right theology and all the right answers. He doesn't write to them and say, I, I, I'm confident because you've surrounded yourself with a really good group of friends and they'll keep you on the straight and narrow. He doesn't say anything like that. What he says is this, my confidence has absolutely nothing to do with you. In fact, he says, I have confidence because God is at work in you. I have confidence because God always finishes what he starts. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. From beginning to end, Paul is saying the Christian's life is in God's hand. It wasn't that you ever started the ball rolling and then God come, came and helped you over the edge. It, it wasn't that God started something in you and then said, you're on your own, good luck finishing the race. He begins the work, Paul says, he carries the work and he finishes the work. That, that's what Paul tells his friends and what God tells us this morning, we have confidence in the Christian life because of what God is doing, because of his work. You know, you and I have a hard time, I think, at least I do, I'll speak for myself, a hard time following through on our words very often. I, I cannot begin to number the amount of things that I have started with the best possible of intentions to remain only half done, to never even get started sometimes, uh, all of these things. I have such a hard time following through on my word. See, you have often experienced, you have disappointed people in your life because you've had trouble following through. You have been disappointed by others. But what Paul is saying to us this morning is this. God is nothing like you. 
He's nothing like you. He always finishes what he starts. I mean, you think about the story of the Bible. On the very first few pages of Scripture, God makes a promise that he is going to send his son who will crush the head of the serpent. And the Bible says God kept that promise. He made a promise that his son would be a substitute in your place. And he kept that promise when Jesus was crucified on that cross. Paul, on and on we could go. God made a promise to make a people for himself. And Paul is saying in this passage that God always keeps that promise. He never, never leaves a project like that unfinished. A pastor of a church heard this story, was getting ready to, to preach, and he had been sitting in the chair behind the pulpit, and he notices about halfway through the service that this woman came in through the back doors of the sanctuary and sat down in the very back of the church. And he said, immediately upon looking at this, these are not my words, these are his words, immediately upon looking at this lady, he just, she just looked rough, like the years had just not been kind to her. He said that she looked like a weathered biker woman. You know, the, the, the skin all leathery, the hair out of place, tattoos all over the place, that kind of thing. She sat down at the back of the church. And that morning, under the preaching of God's word, she was converted. Jesus rescued her that morning. Well, this pastor got to know this, this lady, spent time discipling her, him and his wife. And one night... She showed up at their house, and the pastor and his wife met her at the door of their house, and they invited her in, and they sat down in the living room, and they were talking, and everything seemed to be normal. In the middle of their conversation together, she just burst out in tears, apparently for no reason whatsoever. And so the pastor and his wife were, they were obviously caught off guard, and they said, well, well what's wrong? What, what is it that's bothering you? And she said this, she said, I saw you put your arm around your wife and it broke my heart. She went on to tell them, she said, you know, you, you don't understand my past. I was abused as a child. I've made horrible decisions, horrible decisions with men, horrible decisions with just about every part of my life. I've wrecked my life. And she said that she, it broke her heart to see this in their home because she understood that because of her past and because of who she was, she could never have what they had, this loving Christian family. And I wonder what you would tell that broken lady. Uh, what do you think Lydia and this slave girl and this jailer would tell her? Do you think they would say, well, you just need to try harder. And if you're lucky, one day you might get close to this. Do you think they would tell her, oh, that's just too bad. I'm sorry about your mistakes, but you'll live with that. Or do you think they would maybe tell her this? There is hope beyond your wildest dreams. Because the one at work in you is God himself. And he always finishes what he starts. When everyone and everything in your life has let you go and let you down. He will not. That's the message of Philippians. You see, there is most likely some of you in this room who just feel like the waves are over their head this morning. Big things are facing you. Big things are going on in your life. And you can't seem to catch your breath. 
and you have to hear what God says, the one at work in you is God himself. He is your hope and confidence. The second thing that we need to consider is what this work is. God's at work, but what is he doing? You know, somewhere down the line, I I think that we have done something absolutely terrible and horrible with Christianity. And that is that we have turned it into an outward moral code. We have said, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't dance, don't go to rated R movies, uh, never miss Sunday school, sing in the choir, um, all of these things. Not that any of those things are bad, um, especially the choir. Um, but uh, we, all of the, this list of things, we've kind of put our stamp on it and we've said, well, that's Christianity right there. Nice little neat little package for us. That's what Christianity, you can look at it, that's Christianity. You know, a man named John Wesley defined Christianity like this. He said, Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. You see, an outward moral code, that's what a woman named Lydia was living until Jesus opened her heart. Until Jesus began to do something inside of her. You go back to verse 6 and you hear this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This good work, Paul says, is inside of you. It is the life of God in the soul of man. It is reaching into the deepest and darkest places of your heart. You see, this good work that God begins, carries, and finishes is much more than an outward moral code. It is transformation from the inside out. He is changing you into something entirely different. He's not just changing the things you do or don't do. He is changing who you are, the very things you love and desire. He is creating uh, hope in you for things that you would have never longed for before. He he is causing you to weep for things that would have never made you sad before. He is causing you to rejoice and take delight in things that would, would have never thrilled you before. You know, we are often so caught up in appearances, I think. We're, we're desperate to appear, appear as though we have it all together. You know, that we have all the right answers, that we are always seen doing all of the right things. But Paul is saying the work of God's grace is not about appearances. It is the life of God and the soul of man. It is radical transformation. I'm confident of this this morning. I'm confident of this every time I stand up and speak. That there is not a person in this room who would honestly say about themselves that they do not want to be different. You may be a Christian, you may, you may not be a Christian this morning. And in your most sober moments, you know that this is true of you. That you look at yourself in the mirror and you want to be different. But beyond that, you know this. To change just what's on the outside, just the things that you do, isn't really the change that you're after. The change that you and I are after is that inside-out change. Because we know that to change just the things on the outside is to only deal with the symptoms when what we need are the skilled hands of a surgeon to reach deeply into our hearts and to change us there from the inside out. That's why Paul here is full of hope to these people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is in the business of changing his people from the inside out. To make them beautiful. You know, I have a friend whose, whose father took a hobby several years ago, quite a few years ago. In 1990, he bought this 1931 Ford. It's just a rusted piece of junk, wouldn't turn over, just a piece of junk. But his goal was to turn this 1931 Ford 
into a hot rod. And so he took it and he, he lengthened the hood by three feet and he shortened the, the roof by six inches, six inches and custom molded fenders and a new engine and tires and, and everything. And it was absolutely beautiful. Fourteen years it took him to finish this project when he started it. So I called up my friend and I said, you know, I know that, that hobby of your dad's with that hot rod. I said, how much do you think he, he bought that 1931 Ford for when he first started working on it? And he said, I think it was around $200, something like that. And I said, how much money do you think over the years your dad has put into that car? And he said, it had to have been at least $200,000. $200,000 into this hot rod. But I'm telling you, if you saw it, you would think, I can understand that. It was a thing of beauty. It would go from zero to 60 in four seconds. This guy used to drive around. Uh, this is when I was living in Crystal Springs. He would drive kids around in the church. He would put them in the front seat and he would tape a $100 bill on the, on the dashboard. And he would say, if you can grab that by the time I get to 60 miles an hour, you can have it. And no one ever got it. It, it was amazing. A thing of beauty. Now, here's what I'm trying to say to you. You and I, we take a long enough look at our hearts. And what we begin to see are the twisted motives. You know, the, the lustful natures, the corrupted desires, our warped understandings, our idolatry, our self-centeredness. We, we see all of that. And we begin to wonder, is change really possible for someone like me? Is it possible that I would be transformed? And, and we begin to wonder, you know, is there anything that can be done? And not just with the outside, but with this engine that won't crank and doesn't seem to want to turn over. And God is saying in his word that he uses every resource, every resource to change you from rust into something beautiful. You see, my friend's dad spent $200,000 making a car beautiful. And God uses every circumstance, every event, every relationship, the heartaches, the heartbreaks, the success, all of that he uses to make you look like Jesus. To turn you from rust into something beautiful. And he does it not just by worrying about the appearance on the outside, but by digging deep into our hearts. Well, finally, I want us to see why God does this. He's at work. He's changing us from the inside and out. But why does he do it? The end of our verse tells us that God is carrying this good work on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The work will be complete, he says, on the day of Christ Jesus. When the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, returns for his bride, the church, the work will be completed. Here's what I'm saying to you. The reason God is doing this work in you is because he is preparing you for the day of Jesus Christ. He is getting you ready to meet your bridegroom. He's making you glorious for that day. Let me ask you a question. Do you long for that day? I mean, do you long for that day? Because I think that we often, we just don't think about that day very much. Most of us, and I know that there are struggles in all of our lives, but most of us are very comfortable with our nice homes and our three meals a day and our iPods and TVs and TiVos and 
all that great stuff that I love. (laughs) But we seem to get very, very comfortable with the way things are. When what we need is a holy longing for this day. And understanding that all of this is temporary. But there is a day when Jesus is returning for His bride. You see, in this life, you get glimpses of glory. You get to see bits and pieces of it, flashes of it every now and then. As you begin to see, I'm not the same person I was. God is changing me. But there is a day coming, we are assured, when, there, when that work will be complete. And we will be ready to meet the bridegroom. When there will be no more tears, no more struggle, no more sadness. When we will be without stain or wrinkle. And we will find ourselves doing the very thing God made us to do. Worshiping Him, glorifying Him, and enjoying the one who began this work, carried this work, and finished this work. In your mind's eye, I want you just to travel back a couple thousand years ago if you can do that. I mean, you understand how these letters worked in this day. Someone showed up, Paul had written a letter to the church at Philippi, and then someone stood up in front of the church and they cleared their throat and they began to read this correspondence from Paul to his friends. And if you can imagine looking around that dusty room as that letter is read, I mean, you can imagine this lady Lydia sitting on the edge of her seat, understanding and knowing he's talking about me. Religious as I was, I needed God to begin that work. You can look around the room and you can see this slave girl with tears falling down her cheeks, knowing that she is being made ready to meet the very one who set her free. To see the jailer nodding in agreement, thankful that the work has yet to be completed, that he is still moving forward, that God is still at work in the life of his people. Why does God do this work inside of you and me? It's because he is getting us ready to meet Jesus. You know, I've had the opportunity over several years to do several weddings. And one thing that has happened at every wedding I've been been a part of is this. The bride and the bridesmaid, the bridesmaids get to the church hours before the wedding. Hours before the wedding to get ready. And they're preparing and they're makeuping and all this kind of stuff. And, and the guys are complaining. Why didn't why, why couldn't we? The wedding's at 2. Why couldn't we just show up at 145? You know, it doesn't take that long to put on the tux. And it, but, but it's been going on for days for the bride. I mean, she's been getting her nails done, her hair's done. And the day of the wedding, the dress has to be perfect. Everything in place, the makeup, all, all of the stuff. All of it done. Well, why does the bride go through such trouble on that day. It is because when that service starts and when those doors at the back of the church open, she wants them to swing open and she wants her husband-to-be to see her in all her radiance, in all her beauty, in all her glory. See, this is, in fact, what the Bible is talking about here. That Jesus is your bridegroom. And God is making you ready for that day. 
so that you will be ready to meet the lover of your soul. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word encourages your people, encourages your people with your work. As sinful and as failing as we are, you are merciful to us. You long to heal us. You long to make us ready to meet Jesus. Father, we pray that you would continue that work that you've started in us. We pray that you would allow us to believe this good news. For that is as much an application of this this morning as anything. Is that your people would rest and believe the good news of the gospel. That you are at work in the lives of your people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.